Hey everybody, I'm Paul Valley, and this is a Payoff Pitch on Phantom Wolf Radio presented by DNL Window Tinting. DNL Window Tinting, we put the shades on the sun. And today I'm excited to announce that we have Toby Welk, a third baseman from the Aberdeen Ironbird, joining the show today. Toby, how we doing, man? I'm great. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. We appreciate you coming on today. And you're having a big year uh, for the Ironbirds this year after having a big collegiate career. Uh, they got you drafted in the 21st round out of Penn State Berks. Tell us what went through your mind when you got the call from the Baltimore Orioles saying they had selected you. Uh, it was just like an unreal experience, you know. Every baseball player's dream to get that opportunity to be drafted. Kind of just a lot of mixed emotions like, wow, I'm actually here. Wow, I'm coming from a Division three program, and then I get to go compete with some of the best guys in the country now. Just really humbling. Um, I'm sure. And, you know, you put up some big numbers for that Division three program that if you played for a Division two or a Division one program, you probably would have been drafted way higher than the 21st round. I mean, if you, some of your collegiate numbers here, you hit four, you slashed 433, 507, 768 in college, uh, over 151 games. You hit 486 your senior year. Uh, 26 combined home runs between your junior and senior year, and only 31 strikeouts in that college career. That's translated to the professional level. Your first taste of pro ball, you're hitting 345 with a 399 on base percentage, slugging 485. If the season ended today, you would end this year with the highest single season batting average in the history of the Aberdeen Ironbirds. What does that mean to you? And can you tell us a little bit about your hitting approach that's made you so successful? Uh well, honestly, in school ball, it was much, much easier, as you can tell. Just it was uh, just seeing a lot lower velo. The off-speed stuff wasn't as good. You know, it's just a lot more confidence. You're hitting with a metal bat. You know, you come into pro ball, and you're facing everybody's best from across the country. Like, I see like it's just it's an extreme jump. And just kind of getting ready early, just trying to stay as short as possible and just using the whole field, not getting too big. Like, I've had a couple games where I get – little too big trying to hit the ball too hard and you get a couple punch outs and you know it, it brings you right back down to earth uh, I hear you man I've, I've played baseball my life and I know the struggles yeah. of uh of hitting myself to the point where I never really made it anywhere with it so I can appreciate somebody who's had the success that you've had now with that success comes accolades and there's a chance there's been millings here and there that you could be earning a promotion this year uh, potentially to them over for a playoff run. Is that something that you think about, or do you more so just kind of put your head down and go to work and whatever happens, happens? Uh, I don't think about the things I can't control, mostly. I mean, that, that's just something that will stress you out. Well, it won't stress you out, but it, it's just not something to focus on. That's not, that's not up to me. I can just control how I play and just keep going, keep having fun, keep enjoying the time with the guys, and season's winding up, and hopefully we can make a playoff push. Well, yeah, you speak of that playoff push. Uh, for a while there, it seemed like the Ironbirds were cruising. You jumped out into first place after a slow start, uh, but then lost eight games in a row recently. You've won four straight since then to get back to 32-26. and 26. Right now you're three and a half games out for the division lead and a game and a half out of the wild card. Um, climbing back up in the standings of that four-game winning streak, what would it mean to you and your teammates to make it into the playoffs at the, at, at the very least, winning together beats losing together. And at most, yeah. it's, these are guys you're going to grow through the organization with, and winning at the, in the minor league level can lead to winning at the major league level. Oh, absolutely. We've, uh, we've definitely talked about that. I mean, the, pretty much the consensus on the team is that, you know, we're here, we might as well 
play our butts off and try and make a playoff push because we enjoy each other. We have a good time. The clubhouse is always we're, – we're always just messing around with each other, keeping it light, and we want to make a playoff push. We might as well win while we're here, you know. Uh, absolutely. And you have a lot of great teammates on there. As far as players, I don't know what it's like in the clubhouse. I'm sure it's, it's a great atmosphere in the clubhouse. One of those teammates, however, has a lot of fanfare around, and I'm sure that you get this a lot in these interviews that yeah. you do. It's the token question. You're playing with, with Adley Rutschman, number one pick in the draft this past year, Orioles' first number one overall pick in 30 years. How have you and your teammates kept the fanfare and the media frenzy around a guy like that from being a distraction to the ball club? Uh, it's just we kind of more just enjoy it, like laugh about it, see like, wow. You know, it's just, he's a real deal. You know, he's the number one pick. But when it surrounds him, it's – we're all for him, man. Like, we try to just treat him like one of us because, you know, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of people that say things to him, you know, get mad at him for not signing autographs. Like, people people say stuff to him, like, at the park, like, hey, oh, you got to sign every autograph. And that's just unrealistic, you know. And he's just a kid. Mm-hmm. And he's out here just like us. He's just playing. He's earning his keep. And he's having fun with us. Have you guys made him go out and pick up any of the bills for dinner yet? No, we haven't forced him to do any of that. That's not right. <laughs> nah, I, I hear you, man. I hear you. So, well, you look at the Orioles organization as a whole, right? And you're playing third base for the Ironbirds right now. Yeah. There is a clear path to the major leagues at third base. They don't really have any. There's some prospects, but... Nobody that's really knocking the doors down. So for you, a guy who's come in, tearing the cover off the ball, did it in college, doing it at the pro level now, there's a clear path. And the Orioles have a proud history of third base in the organization. You look at guys like Brooks Robinson, Cal Ripken Jr., yeah. Manny Machado. Uh, it's, like I said, not really a bevy of talent in the organization. One, do you envision yourself staying at third base? Does the clear path make you harder? And what does that legacy mean to you? Well, I actually got a chance to meet Brooks Robinson um, uh, about a month ago. We went to an Orioles game. We got to meet him, told him I was a third baseman from Pennsylvania. He told me all about his career. And um, just coming in, I I have seen that, you know, there is a clear path to third base, but I definitely have a lot of work to do to get to the next level. I mean, we do – our infield coach, Jack, he really helps me. And uh, Dave Anderson, the – infield coordinator for the organization has really helped me with a lot of stuff, just throwing accuracy and just getting more smooth, you know, getting better every day at it because it is going to be a big adjustment coming from a smaller school. I need to learn. The learning curve is a lot higher than some of these other guys, but the bats come around. So it's looking good for now. Just got to keep after it. So then what would you say is the one area of weakness that you want to work on moving forward in your professional career? Uh, definitely just, just um, defense. defense. I mean, just to be inconsistent with my throwing, uh, just being a little more smooth with fielding and, you know, just getting that confidence at the pro level like I had at the D3 level. Just it's got to all come back around in all aspects. Well, I'm, I'm sure it will. I was actually at a game a, a few weeks ago and I saw you play in third base and you made a nice diving play down the line, a strong arm across the diamond. So I'm sure that the defense – and the arm will be there for you moving forward. Uh, and you certainly have the look of a pro ball player from everything that I saw. Well, absolutely. Um, I appreciate it, man. Oh, absolutely, man. And it, it was definitely fun watching you. And 
I know you got you have um you have games to prepare for and whatnot, so we're not going to keep you on here too much longer. Uh, last question I'm going to ask about you, kind of a baseball question, kind of not. Um, what is your favorite thing about being a professional baseball player? My favorite thing about being a professional baseball player is uh, the opportunity to face the best in the country. Because I really thought about it a lot when I was playing D3 ball. I wasn't playing the best players in the country. And uh, it's fun to be around like, hey, you go, you go across from a guy that you watched on ESPN back in the spring. Like I go in and I see these big time guys playing and now they're standing across from me, and that's probably the coolest part. That's awesome, man. That, that, that's a great answer because, you know, somebody coming out of college, you know, in, the, in their early 20s, um, you'd think they'd say something about maybe the clubhouse spread or, you know, traveling to different ballparks and stuff like that, and your answer is more of a competitive nature, which is something that I love to hear, and I'm sure something that Orioles fans as a whole love to hear because it shows that you, have, that you probably have that competitive edge to progress you through the minor league system. So, hey, Toby. Thank you, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. Really great stuff. Keep up the good work, man. Certainly holding your own against that, uh, against that upper-tier talent now. And we look forward to seeing your career progress here in Baltimore. All right. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you guys having me again. It was awesome. Absolutely, man. And good luck the rest of the way. Thank you. And that's going to do it here for the first half of the payoff pitch. Uh, when we come back from uh, word from our sponsor, we're going to have Basilios Nikolau from Russell Street Report. And we're going to talk about a couple of national things going on with the Orioles that have some fans in a frenzy. Stay tuned for that and a little bit more when we return with the payoff pitch. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth, even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills. Drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings and cast a blinding glare on your television or computer screens. DNL Window Tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410-941-2942. That's 410-941-2942. Back to the payoff pitch. Once again, I'm Paul Valley. And joining me now from Russell Street Report is Vasilios Nicolau. Vasilios, how are we doing today, man? Doing great, man. Good to be, glad to be on with you. Yeah, we're glad to have you on. I know we've talked about this for a few weeks now, so good to get you onto the show. Uh, you and I were talking a little bit last night, and we have to deal with John Heyman again, going off on Twitter, on the Orioles, seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, we're we're going to go back a little bit to June, right after the draft. And John sent out a tweet that said, I feel sorry for guys, gals, covering the Orioles. At least the other bad teams have some redeeming qualities. There's just nothing to say now that the draft is over. 99 games to go, too. That is something that sent Orioles fans off the deep end, and he really hasn't lived that tweet down, has he? Oh, absolutely not. And it's, the fact that he's still chirping on Twitter is <clears throat> it's just beyond me. Why he think, I, I, he's, doing, he's doing it to get traffic to his Twitter to his to his work I don't know I'm I'm assuming that's what it is <clears throat> but uh excuse me but he just got slammed by Jimmy Seafood now I'm not Jimmy Seafood biggest fan at all and I saw them say hey you're in Scott Boris's pocket you shouldn't be there either when uh when he said that the Orioles shouldn't be on the field with the Yankees and 
he decided to to take that as a personal attack on him. That's what they that's what they've been doing. That's what he's been doing to the Orioles. So I mean, I'm confused as to why he's made it his personal mission to blast the Orioles on what they're doing on the field currently when they're not even the worst team in the major leagues anymore and it's currently the Detroit Tigers. They're I want to know what the redeeming qualities for the Detroit Tigers are right now that prevents him from talking about them. Right, and you you see in the game last night, uh, Kyle Seager hit three home runs, a third of which the center fielder and the left fielder for the Tigers ran into each other. The ball would have landed on the warning track, but because they collided, it hit off one of the players and bounced over the wall for his third home run of the game. Definitely a cheapie. John Heyman doesn't talk about that doesn't talk about the fact that the Orioles were 16-15 and 15 in their 31 games prior to 10 straight games against the Yankees and Astros, two teams who won over 100 games last year and are probably going to meet for the second time in three seasons in the ALCS this year. You know, the Orioles have had a lot of redeeming qualities over the last couple of months. Um, you look at Anthony Santander hitting over 300, Hanser Alberto hitting close to 320, Jonathan Villar hit for the cycle. They had an MLB record 10 straight multi-homer games. They won hit the Red Sox. They set a major league record with back-to-back 13-0 shutouts. And they had Stevie Bree, Stevie Wilkerson, pick up the save in a game against the Angels. First position player in history to pick up a save. No, he's not talking about that, is he? No, and it's, it's, that's the thing. The Orioles, for all of the grief they've given everybody, and as much as everybody doesn't like talking about it this season, the Orioles, there are some good things the Orioles are doing. There is a good foundation in place for a future team. And Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde are doing a hell of a job so far, at least in my opinion, of keeping everybody's spirits up and at least fielding a somewhat competitive team day in and day out. I, I don't understand the hate. I just don't get why, much like how – National media likes to slam Ravens and come up with false narratives about the Baltimore Ravens. National media seems to enjoy taking taking jabs at the Baltimore Orioles, and it's it, it just befuddles me. It makes near no sense to me why. I, I understand Baltimore is always the the underdog or a hated team or whatever the reason is, but for for a team that has been doing so many good things. In the middle, in the midst of this of this rebuild or tank job, as Heyman likes to call it, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know, Paul. I don't know. Well, and you mentioned the tank job. The the tweet that kind of set everybody off again last night was the one where he put that you put out that said the Orioles don't belong on the field with the Yankees. Sorry, but that's the truth. These tank jobs or complete rebuilds, if you prefer a euphemism, are not good for the game. Now, for one. People say the Orioles aren't tanking. The Orioles aren't tanking. In that sense, I actually agree with John Heyman in his usage because the players themselves aren't tanking. No, they're going out there. They're playing hard every day. But the Baltimore Orioles as a franchise, the, the, the word is tanking when you field a team like this. They could have gone out and signed a couple of you know aging veterans and tried to win 70 games this year. But what would be the point of that? The Orioles want to get good for the long term. So what did they do? They went out. They had the worst record in baseball last year. They cleared a bunch of salary space on that, on that uh, payroll this year. And they sent out a team that probably won't win 
60 games this year. The term for that is tanking. Now, yes, it's tanking in the efforts of a rebuild, but John Heyman's not wrong there when he calls it a tank job, not from the player's perspective, but from the franchise's perspective. So I agree with him there. What I don't agree with is him saying that this is not good for the game. Aside from the Yankees and the Dodgers, you look at every division leader, the Atlanta Braves and the NL East. They were below 500 for four straight years, and they had 90-plus losses for three straight years. The Cubs, below 500 for five years, 90-plus losses three times in 100 once. Astros, three straight 100-loss seasons in the middle of six straight losing seasons. Indians and Twins, four straight years losing for the Indians with 90-plus losses in three of those years. And the Twins, 90-plus losses five times, including 103 in 2016. And we don't even need to talk about the Rays. They lost, 10, they lost 90-plus games 10 straight times from the start of their franchise in 1998 through the 2007 season. Oh, and by the way, the Boston Red Sox, last year's world champions, they lost. They were in last place in 2012, 2014, and 2015 to get in the position that they're in now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's always – every year there's going to be teams that, that fall – and that go into they don't necessarily go into an extended tank period like what we think the Orioles are going to go through, but they maybe take a year or two off to put themselves in a better position uh, for contracts and for uh, draft picks just to get themselves into back into the playoff hunt. Now, I remember a few years ago when – when, like you, you mentioned the Red Sox, and back in 2014, that was the Orioles' year when they played the the Kansas City Royals, of course, the, that ill-fated series. Right. But uh, it, it was just there are teams that always do it. It's, it's not just it's not just a new thing that's happening. Of course, the Astros are the best team in the in the majors right now. They their rotation is ridiculous between Verlander, former Oriole Wade Miley, which that, that gets me going every time. It gets a smile on my face. I'm happy for the guy. I'm happy he's having success. Uh, they just got Zach Granke, and it, it's, that rotation is ridiculous. So, I mean, if the, Mike Elias can do the same thing in Baltimore that he, he did in Houston, I think it will be good for for baseball. It's one of Major League Baseball's oldest teams, one of the most storied franchises. If they get back to the top of the baseball world, that would be fantastic for the game. Absolutely. And, and without tanking, without rebuilding, baseball isn't where it is today. I mentioned all those playoff contenders this year, all those division leaders. All of them went through rebuilds, whether it was three years, two years, uh, three years out of four. They all went through rebuilds and had losing seasons, finished in last place to get where they are now. So for John Heyman to come out and say that tanking is, is bad for the game, it just doesn't make any sense because the game isn't where it is today without it, and he loves the game where it is today. He even went as far as to say that he can't cheer tanking. He said the, Ra the Reds went all out, and that it isn't so bad to try. Completely disregarding the fact that heading into 2018, after the Orioles went 75-87 and 87 in 2017, the Orioles reloaded. They didn't trade Manny Machado, Adam Jones, Jonathan Scope. Didn't trade Kevin Gossman, Zach Britton, uh, um, Brad Brock, or Darren O'Day in the previous offseason when it was prudent to trade those guys. 
Instead, they kept all those guys on the team. They signed Chris Tillman. They signed Andrew Cash, and they signed Alex Cobb. What did that lead to? They won 47 games, man. They went out and won 47 games with a team they expected to compete for at least a wild card. I remember, I remember going into that season, going into last season, thinking, "Hey, the Orioles might actually have a chance to, to do something this year." I was very optimistic at the start of last year, just because of Cobb and Kashner, and it looked like the rotation had made a step in the right direction, and the Orioles were going to try to put it together for one more run. And because that didn't work, that's why we're in the position we're in now. Exactly. And when you when you take all those guys, you you lose a ton of players to free agency. You trade the rest of them. Um, and then at, and that, that's coming off of a 47-win season. What are you supposed to do? The Orioles weren't two or three players away from being a contender this year. They were 25 players away from being a contender. They basically had to revamp and reload the entire Major League roster with the exception of Trey Mancini and Chris Davis, who, let's be honest, he's only on the roster because, he's get, because of the payday that he gets. It's, it just... It, is mind-blowing to me that somebody who is so connected with baseball, so respected in baseball like John Heyman, can come out and say the things that he says about this franchise. He even went as far as to say, when, when people asked him why does he seem to only attack the Orioles when they were worse teams like the Detroit Tigers, his response to that is, the Tigers spent liberally and beyond their means for years, so I can see why they'd go this route. They're the only other team in Baltimore's category. But if you want to count the Marlins or the Royals, their, revi- their, their revenue is low, and the Royals actually spent in recent years. And it's like he doesn't realize the Orioles went out and they paid Brian Roberts. They, pray, they paid Nick Marquez, Adam Jones, Ubaldo Jimenez, J.J. Hardy, Chris Davis, Mark Trumbo. And then we talked about Cobb and Kashner. These guys all signed big-time contracts. J.J. Hardy, $14 million a year, and he ended up playing 302 games out of a possible 486. We all know what happened with Ubaldo. We all know what happened with Chris Davis. Why are the Orioles going to keep making the same mistakes over and over? Isn't that the definition of insanity? It is. And one fun thing that I I found out about Chris Davis' contract a few months ago is I remember when I was doing some digging for Mike Trout's new contract with with the L.A. Angels, that Mike Trout's contract is going to end before Chris Davis is done getting his uh, deferred money from the Orioles. So I, hopefully that is, that is the last poor contract decision the Orioles make, at least for a little while. Uh, there, you can never avoid bad contracts. There's always going to be someone who underperforms after being paid a large sum of money. Uh, but that is, that is no every team That happens to every team. There is no excuse to go out and bash a team that is very much trying to bring fans back to Camden Yards, fill up those seats, and prevent talk and rumors about selling the team and possibly moving somewhere else. Well, yeah, and you mentioned that, and we're going to move on from John Heyman because I'm just tired of talking about him. He and I interacted for like an hour on Twitter last night, and... He just had no idea what I was saying. It, it was it was like banging my head against the wall trying to talk to the guy on Twitter, and he's uh, he's in. Like a, that's the definition of insanity, right there, Paul. Oh my! Oh, absolutely. Trying to talk any kind of sense into John Heyman is apparently an impossible feat. Um, so you you mentioned the idea of relocating when a team is really bad, and there were two articles that were posted um, over the past week or so. 
We'll talk about the first one first. It got this whole thing started. Um, and that's the article that was in the Baltimore Post-Examiner, which, to be perfectly honest with you, I didn't even realize that there was a publication called the Baltimore Post-Examiner. So, um, show you how... You yeah, right. <laughs> shows you how credible this article might be. Um, and they basically postulated that a move to Nashville was possible for the Orioles simply because John Angelos, uh, one of Peter Angelos' sons um, and a controlling member of the franchise right now, has a home with his family in Nashville. They own a home in Nashville, so they, or they might move the Orioles there. They didn't name any sources. Um, it was all basically just speculation based on an idea. But the, the article did say, just to give them a little bit of credit, the article did say the Orioles are more likely to sell the team to a local buyer who would the, keep the team in Baltimore, but they think that the team is likely up for sale. Um, talk about what that how that makes you feel about the Orioles potentially moving, because we dealt with this a couple of months ago with the Vegas rumors. Um, how, how do you feel about that to start? I think, I think it's, it's a load of hooey. I think it's just it's speculation, once again, to get views, clicks, and traffic to, to a certain publication. And it's just completely foundless, no, no type of any research done into it besides the fact that Peter, Peter Angelos looks like he's on his deathbed. And besides the fact that the Orioles, I heard, I keep seeing that the Orioles lease is up at Camden yards at, after 2021. And that is just completely baseless. Nothing makes sense in that article. And I read it and it's literally just, like I said, it has no facts to it. It is all speculation. And it makes me angry to see that kind of stuff because the minute something goes bad with the Baltimore Orioles, everybody runs to their computers and says, oh, no, are they going to move? They're only getting a couple thousand people a night. And it's just it's insane to me that people well, still believe this garbage. Well, for one, it is a fact that the lease is up at the end of 2021. That's that's true. However, Ken Rosenthal wrote an article um, several weeks ago stating that, that the Orioles are in the preliminary stages of extending that lease. Camden Yards is not going to be empty. Uh, fans aside, okay, so maybe they, they don't have a ton of fans, y'all, but they're never not going to field a major league team at Camden Yards. It's too important to the game of baseball. It's a cathedral in baseball. I've talked about this numerous times on the show. That stadium alone is exhibit 1A, why the Orioles are never leaving Baltimore. But on, aside from that, Mari Brown responded to that article with an article of his own in, on Forbes.com saying that so much more goes into relocation than just selling a team and, that, and the new owner moving the team. If I were a billionaire living in Nashville and I just woke up one morning and said, hmm, I want to buy a Major League Baseball team and then put them in my backyard. I can't just do that. All right, so first of all, you have to go, and this is all from Mari Brown's article, you have to go to a city, you have to find, um, you have to procure land, you have to get stadium funding, and you have to work out a regional TV deal. Not only that, then after doing all of that, you have to get 75% of the other 29 Major League teams to agree to the sale and relocation of the ball club. And he then goes on to state, 
The Braves, Reds, and St. Louis Cardinals all have part of their broadcast market in Nashville. So they're definitely not going to sign on for the Orioles moving to Nashville. And on top of that, it's probably not going to be the easiest uh, deal to make to sell the Orioles because with that whole Masson dispute, who wants to buy a team that's wrapped up in litigation? Yeah, that's very true. And I, I was reading the article last night, and I, I noticed not, not, the, not the Forbes one, but the uh, Baltimore Post. It was Baltimore, Baltimore Post-Gazette, right? Baltimore Post-Examiner. Post-Examiner, that's right. Sorry. Uh, but I, and that just shows you how, how little I know about the publication and how insignificant it really is. Right. But I noticed that one of the only sources that, that Mr. Olesker, the author of the article, uh, pointed out was one of the, uh, I, I believe he was the owner of, Sinclair, of the Sinclair Broadcast Group. Right. And all that too. And one thing I noticed is that I was talking with a few of my colleagues as well last night that it looks like Sinclair is making this whole push because on Fox 45, the Sinclair affiliate, they had an entire package talking about this before anybody else did. It seems like they are pushing a specific narrative. And it's it's surprising to me that a Baltimore publication is doing that. But it's not surprising in the sense that it would get them as many views and clicks as they would like, but it's, we, I also discovered last night that it looks like Sinclair is buying up certain regional, regional sports affiliates in terms of TV as smaller TV and radio stations. So it looks like they're trying to make the story and also make a push for, for more broadcasting groups. Uh, I, for what, I don't know, but I thought it was interesting nonetheless. Right, right. Is there um, any change you can elaborate a little bit more on that? I'm a little um, up in the air about what you're talking about. So you said that you read this article last night, um, and then you looked up Sinclair, and that they, you said they're, they're, are they trying to push the story for the examiner, trying to push this, the story of the sale of the Orioles or the relocation? What, what exactly do you mean by that? It's, their main source was the article that was posted uh, for the Post-Examiner, and it's the the guy who wrote the article his main source was this was the um, <clears throat> the head guy over at Sinclair oh okay so it seems to me that the head guy over at Sinclair kind of told this guy to write this article so he could kind of plant his own source there Oh, I get, I get what you're saying now. So, you're, so basically, you're saying he's just trying to get his name out there to let people know, hey, that we're thinking about buying this ball club. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it's crazy because I, there's, it seems like there's this whole conspiracy out there right now, and it's, I, I'm curious to know where it goes. I think we're all curious to know where it goes. I don't know that there's a conspiracy theory or not. I'm not a really not really big on conspiracy theories myself, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put anybody out there too, too much um, without knowing all the facts. But it is an interesting story to hear because we were we were talking about it a couple of, just a couple of months ago about um, somebody going on 105.7 The Fan and saying that the Orioles might be moving to Vegas. Now we're hearing they might be moving to Nashville. And the fact of the matter is there are other teams like the Marlins, the Athletics, the Rays, the Diamondbacks who are more likely to move before the Orioles ever do. And the Orioles 
Yeah, they're 14th out of 15 teams in attendance, but there's still another team that's not drawing as much as the Orioles, and I believe that that's the Tampa Bay Rays, but I could be wrong there. So it's, it's all much ado about nothing as far as I'm concerned. Camden Yards is never not going to be played in by a Major League Ball Club. The Orioles are safe in Baltimore for the foreseeable future. I don't think anybody has anything to worry about. But, Vasilios, that's really going to do it for our show today, man. I really appreciate you joining us today. A lot of good content talking about John Heyman, talking about Orioles' possible relocation, how it will not happen. I repeat, it will not happen. But um, do you want to give a plug for what you do for Russell Street Report? Uh, the What I do for Russell Street Report, I am a little more knowledgeable currently on Ravens training camp. You can follow me at v the NFL guy on Twitter for behind-the-scenes stuff. I recently interviewed tight end Mark Andrews, wide receiver Miles Boykin, and offensive lineman Ben Powers. So there's some really great stuff going on with Russell Street Report over at Ravens training camp. It's officially over now, but I will be up in Philadelphia starting on Monday for the joint practice between the Eagles and the Ravens. So please check, check me out on Twitter. And, of course, thank you for listening to me on this podcast today. And, Paul, thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. And, yeah, it'll be nice to hear from you. And we can talk about a team that actually um, might have a chance at winning something this year. So uh, thanks for joining the show, man. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a great day. All right, man. Thank you, too. Thanks. And that's going to do it for me here on the Payoff Pitch. Once again, I'm Paul Valley. This has been the Payoff Pitch on Phantom Radio presented by DNL Window Tinting. DNL Window Tinting, we put the shades on the sun. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week.